I didn't want to end up one of those people singing their shirt could have on the street. You know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want kids to learn from my example when they see my corpse, you know, laying on the ground because I have no place to express myself so I can turn to drugs or something. You know, I don't, I don't want that. Comey Media Group proudly presents Revelations with Cole Johnson. Welcome to Revelations, where we communicate truth to power. I'm Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you are able to join us. She's a comedian, a debater, a blogger, and a bright mind that wants to change the world with every single word she utters. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a treat because she is unlike any other personality I have ever run across. Miss Ashley Sanders is our next guest. And this is her revelation. Ashley, it's a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, you are from Palm Beach, right? Yep. Palm Beach. All right. Uh, Born and raised there. Uh, yeah, practically. I've been here a majority of my life and all of my adult life. Okay. All right. And <laughs> so how is life there? Because uh, the, the, the picture you normally get, especially sort of where you are, maybe a little south of you, is that it's the perfect retirement home area. And, and especially for New Yorkers, it seems to want to come down south and come there to actually retire. So is it that or is it even more than that? Okay, it's like Florida is basically being on vacation all the time. I'm not even kidding. Like, you are literally on vacation all the time. It's so nice out the weather. Like, originally, it's like monsoon, it's like monsoon type weather. But, it, and when you talk about old people, I mean, and especially when you say New York, I think 90% of people in West Palm are from Long Island. And they're everywhere. I mean, like, and it's not like these residents, I mean, they're everywhere. They're on the streets and they're Buicks. They can't be over the dashboard. So they're always almost running into so many old people. And it's, it's the perfect place. I mean, we had to move my grandma down here, but she couldn't handle the cold. And it's the perfect place for us. Uh, you know, we like to call it God, but it's uh, it's so nice. The weather's awesome. People are cool. You go to the beach anytime you want. You wear flip flops all year round. I don't even own socks, so I'd say Florida's a great place. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's real good. Okay, yeah, because I always wondered how it felt to to actually live near the beach, and you can actually suntan in January and in July, and <laughs> And it would pretty pretty much be similar. I've always wondered that. It's uh, it's weird. I mean, like I know people say, "Oh, I miss the seasons," but I'll tell you, I don't really like snow that much. Um, I moved down here when I was like a thirteen, and um, I hate snow. You know, when I go back, <laughs> I don't miss any of it. I don't, I don't miss wearing all those clothes and the boots. I have a perfect tent. You know, celebrating Christmas, cargo shorts, and flip flops. You know what I mean? And believe it or not, it's still Christmas. It's just a nicer Christmas, not blue. <laughs> It's sunny, you know, like so much yeah. nicer. And my family comes down here for Christmas because they hate it. It's, I guess it's weird. The first Christmas is weird because you don't see the snow, but then you walk outside and you can actually get to your car. So it's, it's you know, right. it's their trade-off. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. Totally get that. So your your family is f- from the New York area? Yeah, New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey, okay. Near New York or near Philly? Uh, near New York. Okay, all right. All right. And how often do you go up there uh, to visit? Um, 
maybe every summer or so. Okay. I don't go in the winter. I don't believe that that's healthy for my mind. <laughs> I have a strict, you know, like I have a strict um, wardrobe of shorts, shirts, flip-flops. Um, anything that's in that is not. So I kind of sit down here until they, there's proven sunshine for at least a week. All right. So you love this. So you love Florida. Hate snow. That's yeah. I, well, if you are flittering, I think <laughs> you would hate snow. So that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So, uh, that area normally sports wise, at least as of late, has been all about the heat. So are you a basketball fan? I go to heat games, but I'm not really like a just now basketball fan by any or sports fan. I mean I go to heat games. Um but no, I'm not like a I'm not like a, you know, avid jersey wearing, you know, good luck charm by any means. That's my dad. He's all about the good luck charms, jersey viewers all the time. He's got the same people he's been watching football with the last four years where that's good luck. He watches his Mavericks, um, as he's been watching for which are admittedly terrible teams that he loves, but he still has these, uh, he still has these rituals. I'm nowhere near that. I'll watch him. I'll go to him, but I'm not. I'm not doing any sort of extra fan work. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but hey, at least you entertain going. I mean, there. I, I know there's some out there that <laughs> they guys would want their their wives or their girlfriends would be be actually entertained by actually watching it, and they're. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they are probably pulling hair out of their heads saying, oh, it's yeah. something to be enjoyed. I don't want to enjoy that. I teams are more entertaining than watching on TV because you're there and you're like in the moment and you have to be present. Entertaining. Sometimes someone falls and that's pretty But like the, the actual game itself is so boring to me. It, and I, I played sports <laughs> when I was younger. But still just, it's still, I could be doing so many other things. You know what I mean? Than just sitting and watching people chase after a ball. It's like watching a giant game of fetch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a giant game of fetch okay i gotta remember that one that, that's pretty interesting all right so you said that you played sports before what uh was your sport or sports of choice i was a swimmer um for 10 years and i did taekwondo for like but, um so i do like more individual sports i'm not really a good team player um i yeah i swam forever i was really old and then I, just, I, I became a teenager and i was just kind of like all my friends are going out and going to parties and i'm here in a pool exhausted this isn't fair and i quit <laughs> like I just I I wanted to you know I wanted to be a kid I didn't want to be you know stuck in a stuck in an Olympic gym you know an Olympic camp because it'll make me some kind of money one day I just I didn't see the appeal and granted my mom does not talk you know I'm not joking she's not talking to me later on she will not speak to me because she goes that that should have been you gave it all up she doesn't speak to me for that whole week she will not even look at me um. But it was worth it because I, you know, I don't have to exhaust it. And I don't, like, you saw Michael Phelps with all those uh, electric scars on him. I don't have those, you know. <laughs> Granted, he's, you know, one of the best swimmers in the world and probably richer than I'll ever become. But, you know, it's a trade-off. I look good. <laughs> it's a trade-off. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the image of Michael Phelps and his body covered in all those purple circles. And yeah, right? You look sick. Yeah. And I'm saying, and, and that's actually considered. Well, yeah, this is tr- this is for training to actually help heal the muscles. I'm like, uh, that looks torturous. Yeah, he looked like uh, he looked like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, man. Like that oh. was bad. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, horrible. And, oh. Yeah, it's just you know, Taekwondo is another one, and I just did that to get my black belt. And once I got my black belt, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm a black, and it's, the only reason I did it was to say. I'm a black belt because it evokes like this crazy fear in people's eyes. I, you know, I haven't trained in years. And if someone threw a punch at me, I might be able to block it. 
But just saying to people, I'm a black belt is enough to stop them from thinking about doing anything. They think we're all like Bruce Lee, Jet Li. No, I just have the power of saying, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Well, see, they, well, you, you can't fool with her because, uh, as she said, she's a black belt. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> so uh, when you were in the midst of swimming and doing Taekwondo, did you actually enjoy the activity before you decided to just simply say, I eh, forget it? Taekwondo, I love. I hate. I hate it. I hate swimming. Swimming is the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my entire life. And, 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 and it sucks because you don't feel it until you step out of the pool and then you can't walk because you're so tired. I was just, and it, it's not even fun, honestly. It's not, it, it, it's not fun. You know, it's, it's boring. Taekwondo is exciting. I kick and punch and jump over and flip, you know, break boards and go to competitions. You go to swimming, it's just ridiculous. It's the most, like, uppity sport. Every Stepford wife is there. Every, you know, leave it to Beaver, June Cleaver mom in her apron is judged, you know, and not to mention who's like a black swimmer is virtually unheard of. So to get a, get on my starting platform and they announce my name, it was like people were looking for me. You know what I mean? As if I did, as if I couldn't have any skill. And then God forbid I won, there was so much politics behind it. So much well, you know, they have an extra calf muscle. No. I trained just as hard as as Becky over there, and I might have beat her. I'm sorry. Tell your daughter to step her game up. So swimming, I hated, and I hated everything about it because it's not a sport that's even integrated enough to where if you are good, you know, you're, you're put up as a spectator, you're good and black. And I just, I, I can't take that. I couldn't take it when I was younger. I, I don't for now. Taekwondo, though, is awesome. I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are, what belt you are. It's not. It was equal all across the board. Winner, loser, and we lost. Congratulations. To your point about swimming, uh, uh, some Simone Manuel, that was the f- first African-American, I don't even know if it was even male too, but I believe it was African-American in general, woman, it definitely I think African-American period, that won a gold medal. And that was last year's Olympics. So, yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that I, I could totally see how, how you have those issues that lie in certain sports but in others like taekwondo and you're not the first i've heard say about taekwondo that it seems to be one of the greatest meritocracy systems in sports that oh, you have you know where it's like it doesn't matter what you yeah you know, doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't even matter if you're male or female if if you can just get yeah, down no, and actually doesn't. learn the sport and do the discipline you're good mm-hmm. yeah and i, I appreciate that yeah. so uh so how how was growing up period uh you mentioned swimming, you mentioned Taekwondo. Uh, what other things captured your interest as you grew up? Um, growing up, I loved Jeopardy. Um, I loved Barney. Um, I loved CNN and Al Jazeera and Bloomberg. I loved all that stuff. Uh, I was fairly weird <laughs> as a kid. I I liked to like, um, and I, I, it, it's going to sound really weird when I say this, but I was a big fan of like Jim Jones and Charlie, like Colby, Vince like all that kind of stuff. That kind of and in politics, things like that, that really taught you about leadership in the sense where I wanted people, I needed a platform, even at the entire, I wanted the whole world. I mean, I think I was born thinking I was, you know, the, the next, you know, essentially the second coming. 
and I'm not mentally ill. It's I I have had the same beliefs since I was younger, and I've been so steadfast in researched them and learned about them that I I know what you've done in the world, and I knew I mean you like the atrocities, and and it came from you know my parents are both very well educated people, but they both had uh, minors in African American studies. So every year we would have to watch Ruth. Every year <laughs> have to watch Ruth. Um, and in one year, I remember, I think it was six, my parents showed me the Emmett Till story. And after I saw oh, that, gosh. then my fascination of leadership and changing the world really, really started to combine. And and so while most kids were into, like, playing with toys, I was, like, reading and, and trying to figure out how I could stop all these things from happening. I've never been really, you know, and TV, I absolutely, I mean, I, I love TV. Um, and I've always been that kind of kid. I've never really had the interest in, and what I call um, like distractions, you know what I mean? I've never really, I, I've never really cared about any of that stuff. You know, you can keep your 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 board games and your video games and all that stuff. I was a reader. I was a weirdo. I mean, to the point where my mom had to like open my door sometimes and be like, "I need you to go outside." <laughs> you know, like I need you to start being a child because I've never really. And and it sounds absolutely crazy when I say it out loud because I think I actually think about it. But I've never been really a child in my mind. And, and, and that speaks to not even my maturity level, just the way I think. I've always wanted something that, you know, I always wanted to be a revolutionary. So my whole entire life growing up was all about me taking steps to becoming revolutionary. And it's, you know, it's remarkable because I don't think it, you know, obviously my childhood had issues every kid. Nobody, you know, nobody goes through anything. But I also had a problem with school, like going to school because I thought school was nonsense. And my beliefs just, not only, you know, got me to the point where I'm able to open for, you know, opener of a comedian and, you know, jump and start my life, but it also almost failed me out of high school. You know, like, I, that, that's how almost immature, really, I am. I am with my book where I'm not willing to put them aside because you say so. And, and it's it, it almost failed because I, I, I called the education out, the education system out, class after class about how it's nonsense, how I shouldn't be here, and how I'm different, how I learn differently than everybody else. But you're still going to you know, do the same things, and I'm not going to pass. I'm not going to do the same way. Um, and, and I would just stop going to school because I literally was not able to learn in the same manner that everyone else was. So growing up, my whole entire life was just steadfast on these certain principles that I had, and I just kind of literally let them die because God knows everything tried. Um, and it just, uh, that's really what it was for me growing up, just uh, trying to become revolution and it's still sick today i just want to like the world you know what i mean like most got anything that comes from my love for the doors my love for woodstock my love for that whole 69 hate ashbury district that hippie stuff that's thing that people call weird but i think it's fantastic um, i've never i've never really even had the mentality that like of a child and it's like that sounds crazy when i say it out loud i've never i've never even thought about you know should i brush my teeth today all these all these small things. My whole life has just been one giant working day towards becoming someone, you know, immortalized in like multiple statues around America. Like the next John Lennon, George Carlin, you think Frank Zappa, Harry Pizzo, me, RuPaul, and then you shake it all up. And that's really what growing up was for just a bunch of different icons, you know? Hmm. Yeah, this hodgepodge of different ideas. Hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I listened to all of what you said, but I was so transfixed on your parents wanting to actually have you watch the Emmett Till story at six. And I'm thinking 
that's a hard story for adults to stomach. A six year old? My parents never my parents never really sheltered us in that way. They were like, This is the world, the world's messed up. This you're gonna have to lose. That's always never been a lie, a fallacy that everyone my parents my parents never really raised us up like that. That's you know, oh if you work hard, everything's gonna work out. That was never is. My mom was like, Listen, this is this is you're black for the woman for sure. You're gonna have to find a million dollar idea to stay. That's it. She is in and if you think I'm joking. Wait till you turn once you get older you send out a red you get to an issue. You know what? You're not like right. And then they hire someone less competent, taller, probably white, most likely. And it's not because aren't the right citizens. They have a look for their company. Uh, and my mom would say this, some people are important and it was always how we were, you know, growing up. My mom and dad were so honest to the point where yeah, you know, like you kind of right. and you know it up to a young actually notice them. You learn how to work around them. Whereas some parents shield their take at eighteen and now they're all of a sudden fighting a that they never even feel I know this is real and now I know how to work it but train it, you know, my parents never hit any limit till, you know, um the Scottsboro trials and all that stuff. We were brought up with it. We were never to forget all the struggles, you know, and and if um someone got a little too uppity about they were, my mom would constantly remind us that yeah, um we were split. You know, uh we never in races like hate white people. Don't hate white people, don't forget smart one is trying to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah. How I, I grew up, I learned that, you know, hatred really doesn't solve anything. But you just have to understand that there are certain situations in life where, let's be completely honest, you have to work twice as hard just to get half as far as other people. And when you actually are embraced with that idea, you know, as a child, it throws you off because, you know, you, you know, you want to be valued the same as other people, no matter how they look. And, and, I, and that's that's what, what I was taught. Now I can only imagine it being a black female, because it's even more hurdles for you guys, you know. And and to be infused with that so early, that's that that's that's that. Like I said earlier, that's that's heavy to stomach for an adult. But to actually have that be brought to you, and you were barely out the cradle, <laughs> that yeah, that is really. something. You know. Well, I, yes. like I said, I think my parents really took it as a as a, as a strategy. Like we learned how to maneuver around the system. Okay, Ashley, you know you you're so well versed in these things. Have you ever tried doing phone interviews, asking for phone interviews, and phone interviews work for me? Have you considered using a medium where people can't see you? Radio works. You know what I mean. Look, sister, incredibly beautiful. My mom said, why not try model? People listen to you because you're pretty, and it's got nothing to do with your skin color. It's because you're pretty. Our, 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 I guess my parents' goal was to teach us that, yes, you may be black and that may not be, and that may be something that's going to stop you, but you need to work around that. There's no excuse. You know, my mom's a doctor. My dad is a stockbroker. Now he's a crazy mortgage broker or something. And he, um, you know, they, they would always say, there's no, my mother did something. My mother went into medicine, something she knows well, and they can't deny. My dad went into stockbroking and then real estate because he's a salesman. He's got a shark sales. He's got a salesman all the time. He is literally, um, what's Oh, he's just uh, a scam artist, you know, like sales, he's like a car salesman. When you talk to him, you feel like you want to buy something from him. So because he took all that charisma and he worked through this work on his favor, instead of going, you know, um, to the incredibly high-end car salesman where they're looking for people who don't look like him, he went stockbroking, something you do over the phone. Really don't really have to, you know what I mean? So my parents really took all of all of our strengths and said, okay, let's work around the black. That that idea of racism isn't going. We're going to give something. We're going to give tools. I need to work around, and that's ultimately been probably the best I've ever been given. The, the 
chance to work around my quote unquote, you know, detriment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like things that are quote unquote mm-hmm. detrimental. And and I well, I know being black, Boston black is detrimental. Talent is ridiculous, absolutely. And it's a harsh reality, but you know, it's something I I gotta live with and I just gotta work around in a woman. Detrimental, especially for talking to you know. Um, detrimental. And you just you just have to you know, figure out a way. Put a wig on if you have to. Be a dude, infiltrate, pull them on. But like work around it and um you'll get you'll, you'll be successful. You look at Rob Obama. Have, like that was like a giant part of Rob Obama's plan for don't even realize it. The whole not being fully black thing, he's half white. It, it, it was a big part of it. Every time someone, they're not ready for a black man in office, whoa, he's half white. Yeah, I guess you're right. How ridiculous is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, but you gotta find things that aren't detrimental to you and use those. Essentially, to some people. Or, or you just really play into that whole Negro thing and become an ass. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So the the puzzle's starting to really take shape to me now. Okay. All right. So you were armed with something to say. That's obvious. Uh, almost from the womb, you were <laughs> you were armed with yeah. something to say, and that's a that's heavily apparent. And I'm assuming that a lot of things in life have made you want to actually laugh at it instead of ball up in a curl up in a ball and just be uh, resisted to it all. So it seems like you turned that around and laugh at life, throwing stuff at you. So it makes sense that, you know, cause I heard you earlier talk about that you at a, ch- <laughs> as, as a child looked at CNN and read and, and read Bloomberg and you had to deal with the, of course, being beautiful and black and female. How did all of that coalesce into you actually stepping on stage and being a comedian? say that comedy saved your life so to speak oh absolutely wow yeah and, and it's funny you say that because you know we as or at least myself as a person who actually watches comedians you don't necessarily think of of that platform actually being so powerful in terms of this is something i need to do you know because you normally hear the story of normally not all but you normally hear the story of well you know i was a class clown and i and i tricked off and People thought, well, I had this 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 way with words and the way with thoughts, and then I had to step on stage, and make money with it, and did. You know, you were saying actually, this actually is a burden that with this medium frees it, and that's a rare that's a rare look at a person who actually does it, but needs it for their own benefit of I'm doing something 
to contribute to the world rather than it's great that I actually got an audience and I can make laugh. The bigger purpose of it is, is really appealing to me on that. So when you do your act, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. What are you going to say? Oh, well, no problem. Uh, So when you do your act, uh, what type of material do you pull from? Okay. Um, I usually, I do, I do political stuff um, because of my age. Like I'm, I'm 24 right now, and my audience, older people. I try not to offend older people. Um, so usually I start with my family um, just because we have a giant family. I have My grandma has seven kids, and they all each have like three or four kids. Um, and we're very, they're a very Christian bunch. Mm-hmm. So there's always jokes about going to church, you know, holidays as much and then they start mixing club songs you know worship songs and stuff like that so my family's one um just my experience growing up in a you know what i like to call white privilege town um and how i had these like blinders on my eyes about how <laughs> i thought because i was a car the white guy cops wouldn't hear some old jokes about that um and then like with the, with the politics that's because white and depending on who's I will, I, sometimes I dive right into it, other times I just go to them, and it's to the audience. If you're coming, you know, let's say I was great, but some to open up for Carlin, I would truly dive into it over time. If I'm doing something like Eddie Griffin, well, he has a couple, you know, he has a couple of political jokes. He's not really that kind of guy, so when you do that kind of, that kind of act, I really am catering to my audience. Um, when, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, obviously. And I don't want to offend anybody. They're paying the person two people after me. And I don't want them to be like, I'm intolerable. I walked out of the bush point. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to. And I don't want to. It all depends on um, what material I use. Uh, but there's always, like, family is always something that is a killer. It doesn't matter who is in the audience. Everybody has family members. Everybody has overly religious family members. You know what I mean? Um, it's the bread and butter, I'd say, of what I do comedically. Hmm. All right. So some politics. So like if, if it's a political comedian, I'll throw out the politics because that means people who are interested in politics are going to see the comedian. But mm-hmm. family, family kills it every time. Everybody's got, everybody's got a messed up family, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the running joke of there's always one drunk uncle in everybody's family. Yeah, there's yeah. one drunk uncle. Yep, there's one overly <laughs> religious aunt, <laughs> and everybody's got a crackhead in their family. Everybody got a crackhead. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you know he's a crackhead, but. You know, everybody, you know, it doesn't matter if he tells you he's a crackhead. Everybody knows. You don't have to tell us. Right. He's always, he always has that one family member who only is allowed over with other people. There. <laughs> uh, that, that's interesting. So you mentioned a couple of comedians there, Eddie Griffin and George Carlin. Who are uh, who are the comedians that you admire? something i'm watching chappelle show not to steal his jokes but because when you listen to it you hear how funny it's so funny um mm-hmm. cosby back in the day um on stage not behind it um <laughs> 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 lucy k uh bo burnham i i can go 
on for hours and hours. And it's just different styles of comedy, different, you know, ways to present your comedy. You know, John Stewart, Tim Colbert, too phenomenal. You know, and um, Aziz Ansari's okay. Um, Amy Schumer was funny, but if you're not in the mood for, like, provocative humor, you're not going to like it. And sometimes I'm not in the mood, you know, every other day. And he murdered before he had kids was fantastic because his dirty comedy was hilarious. Then he had kids got all weird and saying whatever he did. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, I'm another one of my two. Um, I think I really bring to the table everything I'm looking for. I will say that. Now, see, now that is an interesting answer there. Okay. Yeah. If you can't be confident in, in what you do, you know, uh, that's understandable. I totally get that. Yeah. That, that's 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 a really good one. Yeah. And then there's, uh, there's like drag queen tour comedians. Like there's a drag queen. Her name is Bianca Rio, or his name is Bianca. Hilarious, absolutely hilarious. The only reason the person does drag is because they needed an outlet to do the. Com- I mean, just there's so many different styles of comedy. There's so many different people who do comedy. I just, it, it's just you know it's such a giant giant umbrella term, and it just it has so many different. I guess I don't know. It's like a giant. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's a big wide net. So that it, it's impressive to me that you don't drive down a certain particular avenue of okay, well, yeah, I reel off these type of comedians or I reel off these type of comedians. It seems as though your 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 influences are broad, and when that's the case, your material itself is going to be broad, and that. That's actually a good. That's actually a testament to you and studying the art. So that's that's really impressive. Of course, man, it's my craft. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I was just wanting to see, you know, what you're about and all of that, and I stumbled upon your blog. So if you oh. could tell me what the Etna's Journey blog is, oh, what wow, it is, awesome. and yeah, and the significance of it, and how it feeds you. I'll tell you, that means, like, just uh, before I get into that, that means a lot to me, though, like, that you said it. Because um, I didn't even plan on mentioning it. But the fact that you, you know, as you were doing your research, you found it. And hopefully you read a couple of them. But I, I, I'm, i like, really, my face is, like, shocked. Right? My jaw just dropped when you said that. Because it's my blog is basically, um, my grandmother has dementia, and she's in rapid decline. And I, along with my mother, who's, you know, here once a month, once a week for a month because she works in Wisconsin, my dad and my, you know, my younger sister, we really are working very hard to take care of her in the most respectful way possible. Right. And um, it's, you know, I think one day, I think what happened was we had to bring in hospice, not because she's necessarily on our deathbed, but because hospice assists with a lot of things we can't do. You know, like music therapy, art therapy, things I, I genuinely am not trained to do. Um, and I think when we brought in hospice one day, it just kind of just hit me. And I had this overwhelming feeling that I am killing my grandmother. And and I know it sounds uh, it sounds idiotic, but when you're the one who's there 24-7 and, you know, you see things like this happen, you feel responsible. And, it, and it's unavoidable. You can't help. It. And I remember crying and I just started crying. And I was like, I didn't do this, Mom. It's not my fault. And I... I you know, I had this, this guilt, I mean, and it was like, and, and I still kind of feel it nowadays, but like, and this is only two weeks ago, um, but I I just felt so horrible about myself. And I felt like, you know, in high school, I should have went to dinner with her when she asked instead of going to a party, you know, I should have stayed at the house that wanted, if I would have did one thing, this wouldn't be happening. And obviously that's not true. Um, but then I, I realized I needed a real healthy way to get this out. 
that mm-hmm. wasn't um, that w- that was just that wasn't comedy because I don't think because while I I do have jokes about it, if I had to do it, if I had to talk about it for like ten minutes, I'd probably start crying. Right. Um, and I need I just needed that outlet, and and so I was just like you know this, I was reading something in a Facebook group I was in about a blog, and I was like, huh, let's try it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so I wrote the first one, and the first one was all right, and then. I got into. It. I felt so relieved afterwards. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel better that my grandma was on hospice and everything. I just. I there was like like this breathable moment where I was like putting my words onto this, you know, onto the computer and 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 transferring them and and telling a story that a lot of people hear because I cannot be the only person who feels guilty when they see you know hospice come in. I can't be that person. I can't be the only person. And and. I can't feel so alone. And I, I, as I know, I told you, I have a huge family. As many people that are there, I still feel like I'm, I'm in this by myself because I'm the one that's here all the time. Now, they can't be here all the time. I get that. But the thing is, when you are here all the time, when this is what you deal with, it just, it, uh, it, it, like I said, it consumes you. It consumes you to the point where you either, A, because I had this idea that I was going to move to Portland and I was going to pack all my stuff, sell my computer, sell everything, and I was just move to Portland not talk to anyone ever again. That was like the first idea. The next idea was, well, when she dies, I'll die because I have nothing left after. That was the second idea. The third idea was, you really need to get over this, you know, and, and, and you really need to stop and, you know, live your life. You can't can't not live your life because you're afraid that it's your house again. You can't do that. And so when I started writing and then I got the first one out and it, it had some real positive reception, um, then I got the second one out. Um, and, and the second one is, really, is probably one of my favorites. Um, the la- uh, second and the fourth one, because there's only four, and there'll be a lot more actually. But the second and the fourth one are really, really the ones that I think will hit home with people. Um, and I think I think that's the truth with with the blog in general. But when it comes to second, when it comes to those ones, I think the last one itself has to deal with betrayal of the people who you trust the most around your family. You know what I mean? It, it's just utter betrayal. And it's the feeling that, you know, I'm already dealing with nonsense, already dealing with it. Here you come, able-bodied, just coming to ruin my life. You know, I'm already dealing with, with the pain and the, 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 and quite frankly, sometimes annoyance and, and all that, and all those things. Um, I'm already dealing with them. And here comes someone who I'm supposed to trust, someone I'm supposed to be like, hey, you're here to help. And they just, you know, they just come and just poop all over you. You know, they just come and do that, and 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 I think that's that that's why that one's so powerful because everybody has dealt with that, and, and we've either been that person or we've been you know hurt by that person, and most of the time it's both. We've all been bad, somewhere, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. We've all we've all done wrong. We've all had wrong done to us. So I think that one is it. Not the second, the third. Uh, the third one is actually the one I think is the the one that I think is the most powerful, and that's because it's 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 about religion. Um, and it's about the idea of whether there is a God or not. And my, my main basis is I don't really care if there's a God or not, but it's keeping my grandmother alive. You know, my aunt came in and my aunt's a, I mean, she's a solid woman, and like unarguably probably the most Christian person I've ever met in a way that she is not putting on errors. She's, you know, she is her, she studies the Bible. She not only studies the Bible, she studies biblical history. She studies all these things and she's taught me all these things about biblical history to where I, whether I believe in God or not, there's no choice. But I find myself quoting the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it, it, she has used her faith in God in a way where a, a non-believer like me will still quote the Bible because she's she's ingrained the good part, and she she is herself. It's so ridiculous that that 
ambassador base. When she came down here and prayed with my grandma and did all this stuff, I got to tell you, I didn't care if there was a God. I didn't, I, I didn't question it. All I knew is that it kept her alive. And I don't care what anyone says. Oh, she's praying someone, some magical being. If it makes her better, let her do it. <laughs> let her do it. And I will never again in my life ever challenge anyone's faith in a way where they say, I need to pray. And I say, oh, that's a waste of time. Because I, I, you know, I don't think necessarily that there is God, but there is power in belief in anything. And, 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 and that's with anything, actually. It's just, you know, it, there's power in, in two like-minded people creating something together. And when you see it happen, it's just like music therapy. She was unable to move up, up and down the stairs. She did music therapy. She walked up the stairs. Not joking. There is power in, in, in your belief system. If you believe in something, you really try and make it work, regardless of how ridiculous it sounds, it works. And I, I think that is one of the most, and like I think that's the most powerful thing because it really does hit home with a lot of people like, huh, maybe God isn't. But you know what? Who cares? I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm not adamantly fighting Christians. I'm not like, you know, logging on to disprove anything. I don't, I don't even have that energy anymore because what I saw may not have actually been God, but it was enough get me to shut up about it if that makes sense yeah it, it makes perfect sense and and for the record uh, you, you're moving to portland you would you would hate it because it snows there too uh, yeah i know i know i know i talked <laughs> <laughs> i know i had it all i had it all planned out i had a backpack and everything and then it was like yeah when they were getting snow and it was oh my friend was in seattle it was like 40 degrees i was like what do you mean 40 degrees he's like yeah 40 yep. degrees that's a deal oh no no sorry i'll pack that i'm saying yeah. And it can sometimes be 40 degrees in June there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go for like Tijuana. <laughs> oh, we'll see. There you go. Uh, <laughs> what you have said is extremely powerful. And and uh, for the record, yes, I did read uh, some of your blog. In fact, uh, the one that you mentioned, uh, one that's titled Galatians 6, 9, that's the one I did read. And, you know, it's interesting what you have to say about faith. You know, for me, I am a Christian, proud to say it. And I will always say that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I will say that amongst believers, I will say that amongst non-believers, yep. you know, because there is a script, there is a scripture that says, if you deny me in front, if I deny God in front of men, then I, Jesus will deny you in front of my father. So, <laughs> oh, I know. No, I, I know, you know, considering what you just told me, I know, you know, that you probably could say the scripture a whole lot better than me, but <laughs> you know, but yeah, there is power in, in, in belief, but there, you know, I, I can definitely tell you there's even greater power in just mentioning Jesus to any situation. And what is extremely strange about that is what we think is better is different than possibly what God thinks is better. And the reason why I say that is I think back to when my grandfather died of cancer and I wanted him to be healed from it all. I wanted him to be healed. I wanted him to be alive and walking and, you know, Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted, you know, to have no remnants of cancer whatsoever in him, but the opposite happened. He died. And, and, and I was 12 then. So, you know, as a 12 year old, I couldn't reconcile how I prayed for something and it didn't happen. And I, and it took many years, many years. Cause if I were to say I, I understood as a 12, you would look at me with a third eye, but <laughs> it took many, it took many years for me to realize, well, God did answer your prayer. It just, when your grandfather got better, it wasn't how you saw as better because you did pray that you wanted him to feel pain no more. Well, he transitioned onward and he didn't feel pain anymore. And when I understood that, I was like, wow, 
So my prayer did happen. It just didn't happen the way I wanted it. So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, there's there's definitely, definitely power in that. And, you know, and, and I will never begrudge anybody who believes in that. And, of course, my prayer for you is I hope that you and you it turn toward that. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. But, you know, but, but that's uh, but that's up to the that's up to the would be believer. That's not up to me. It's only yeah. up to me to say, you know, here's here it is. You know, so, yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. So that is what really impressed me upon you when 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 I saw that, I said, OK, I definitely have to talk about this because the the issue of how family deals with grief and how family deals also with turmoil is is absolutely amazing. And and when you are in that moment, a lot of people have difficulty in seeing how their actions negatively affect others because they're just they're, they're just selfishly consumed with, OK, I got to do something. Uh, forget you. Forget you. I got to do something. And they forget how much their actions hurt others. You know, and they don't use they don't use you as a partner. They see you as a crutch. And when that happens, that's conflict. And that is definitely if 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 knowing the little bit about you that I know now, that definitely is not what your grandmother would like or would want. Uh, not at all. Yeah. And I hate conflict. And I know I know everybody hates conflict. I genuinely because to me, a lot of things aren't. Cut, you know, black and white. There's, no, there's not always right and wrong. Um, usually it's like this really gray area, and I hate conflict. Conflict is so so backwards. It doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense for me and my family to have issues about my grandmother in the way that we handle anything. Because unless and and I, and I stated this multiple times to a couple family members, unless they're willing to come down here and and actually help, they're just hindering and creating that conflict. They're not right. going to have my ability. A lot of it's not to answer my phone. Exactly what I know is best. I stop because I'm a doctor, stop because I'm here to see her, because I talk to her, because I know which, and sometimes she just wants to walk down the stairs and watch, she doesn't right. want to have to just go outside and hungry weather, walk to the mailbox. She doesn't want, you know, I, I mean, I remember when some of my hands down and my girl wanted water, and they were, can't have water before you're going to take personal walk. It's not, you know, they just regret it, really, all I'm trying to make sure that, you know, the old lady across the hall is something. So, mantra of I just want the positivity to be in my life and anything that's negative drags me down and I can't be a part of that. So yeah, that that, that makes plenty of sense. That makes plenty of sense. I don't have time to argue. I don't have time. I, it's either you're going to help me or you're going to be got to go. At this point, you know, when I get older and I retire, I'll have plenty of time. For my kids said, I'll be retired. But at this mm. point, I'm not retired. I have the money. I have the stuff left. Okay? I don't have to look up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 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 something, you know, you just we were talking about family comedy, you know, family and life. I mean, the the stories you can tell from that, I think with any of us, it's massive. And especially with with you, with your grandmother having to 
deal with a diagnosis of dementia. That's that's something to yeah. That that's 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 not lightweight stuff. I mean, for anybody. Ah oh, man. So I would love to continue this conversation. Uh, I unfortunately, I have to cut it short. You have given us a lot on which to chew, and uh, it, it, it's a pleasure that I got a chance to meet you. Uh, I'm, I actually enjoyed this conversation a lot, and and I, I hope that I can. I, I hope that people get what I got from this because uh, I I was enlightened by a lot of what you had to say, and and uh, you have enriched my life just by your presence alone. So I really appreciate you, and I appreciate your platform, and I will have where they can find you in the show notes, uh, and and. Uh, Definitely will be pointing people in your direction when you step on stage and do your brand of comedy. And, and of course, as for your other, and of course, as for your other ventures in life, I, you know, I pray that you, that, that you are successful in whatever you speak or touch or appear. And I, I hope that the, uh, the prosperity that you seek comes to fruition for you. Oh, no problem. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Miss Ashley Sanders, and it was a pleasure. Thank you, Ashley, for this time. You know, I was thinking how comedy can change the minds of people. It could jar us. It could make us uncomfortable. It could make us think. That's the beauty of comedy. Another beautiful thing about comedy is the fact that we also can laugh through pain. The word says a joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. As I walk out of this interview and conversation, I am reminded of the fact that laughter is good medicine, whether it's harsh, biting, rueful, or completely hilarious. It is what makes us live in these tough times. Many thanks to Ashley for her appearance, and you can check her out on Who's This? That's her brand, and I hope everything goes well for her. For changing the world, one conversation at a time, I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more of Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O. Thank you.